2: and welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris right here. And what a whirlwind week uh, it was. Uh, for those of you that were in Austin, Texas with us, what a fantastic conference that was at the Resource Planning Summit. A lot of uh, uh, fantastic speakers. Got to meet uh, Alan Mallory, uh, who's the family that uh, conquered uh, Everest. Got to uh, meet J.B. Mannis, who's a sci-fi author as well as a business author. Wrote uh, Napoleon on Project Management course, the Frank, uh, the great uh, Frank Saladis was out there with us. Uh, Kmart, uh, Kevin Martin was out there with us. Um, uh, Kent uh, Dobin was out there with us, who uh, is part of, uh, was part of Illumina with their their great explosion, uh, which essentially is done for DNA sequencing. Uh, kind of what you know, I, I guess the best way to say it is is. You know what's happened to the price of computers they've done to the, the price of, of DNA sequencing and what an incredible uh, business story that was uh, and just on and on uh, Paul Samaral and his team uh, had us out there to, to speak and it was a fantastic time um, lots of other great speakers if I left any of their names off I, I didn't mean to uh, but uh, you know, a lot of fellowship, a lot of learning, and a lot of idea sharing. So there were several times where all the speakers uh, kind of got around to a round table, either dinner or you know for drinks afterwards, and just had a lot of uh, great sharing of ideas. So it was a great time. So if you were out there with us in Austin, uh, I appreciate uh, the you know the love and the respect that uh, you guys showed us and we had a great time. Uh, upcoming events for us, september twenty fifth, I'll be speaking to the modern PMO. Uh, A customer event that's going to be hosted in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, September 29th, we're doing the keynote for the IIBA conference here in Birmingham, Alabama. Of course, October 6th, the big Live Delete conference, uh, which is going to be a simulcast event happening in 250 countries around the world. Uh, It's John C. Maxwell, Warwick Dunn, Cheryl Boschelder, and uh, Dave Ramsey. So if you go to l2l.johnmaxwell.com, find out where it's going to be in your neck of the woods Uh, October 13th, be speaking at the PMI Central Iowa PDD uh, in Des Moines. And October 23rd, we'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. So you can always find out where we're going to be at rickamorris.com or rsquareconsulting.com. And then, of course, we just launched a new series today on social media uh, called the PM Minute. So you can search hashtag PM Minute, find that on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, So that's a new video series that we've launched uh, where we're going to be sharing just some thoughts and ideas in a minute or less. Um, and you can find that on all of your social media channels as well, as well as uh, pmminute.net. Uh, so today we've got a fantastic guest. We're really, really excited. Um, you know, this person, uh, you know, Mike uh, Stevens, my VP of, of business development, found this gentleman. Um, and we had a pre-call with him. And, you know, normally my pre-calls are 10 or 15 minutes. I think this one lasted an hour, hour and a half. Uh, this this gentleman's brilliant. And we couldn't be more excited. And really, we titled this you know, really a representation of our future, because if we have more and more uh, young people that that are thinking like this gentleman is, uh, we, we've got a very bright future ahead of us. Uh, he's a passionate entrepreneur who's launched two profitable businesses by the age of 19. He's a student right now at the University of Southern California and is known for his domain expertise. Uh, in the LA college startup scene. So besides being one of the most recognized student leaders, he's influenced far beyond campus through his online presence, article features, and many speaking engagements. He founded TutorUBH which transformed the Beverly Hills tutoring market, and Geocasion, a millennial-based marketing agency. Now, when he arrived at USC, he was elected to serve as one of the 14 elected student officials, representing over 19,000 students. And then the following year, he spearheaded the creation of Tamid Tank, it's USC's first ever Shark Tank for USC students to showcase the true potential of college entrepreneurship. So let's bring him on. Let's welcome Daniel Newman. Daniel, how you doing, bud?
3: Hi, doing excellent. How are you?
2: I am hanging in there, man. So first of all, you've done more by the age of you know twenty twenty one. Than most people hope to achieve, you know, by by the time they're forty, forty five. So, I mean, let's <laughs> let's start and just dive right in. Tutor you, right? So that's T U T O R U B H. Mm-hmm. I mean, when did you create that? And tell me a little bit of the story behind it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So it was my senior year of high school. Uh, Lee and one of my friends were just sitting there, and you know, sort of realized that all of the the uh, students in the middle school and the elementary school. Their parents were paying crazy, crazy amounts of dollars for tutoring from, you know, masters or Ph.D. students because they felt that that was what made them more qualified. Um, I saw a big gap over there. And so created TutorU Beverly Hills to essentially disrupt the, the tutoring um, market in Beverly Hills. And so, you know, what we did is first off targeted uh, high school seniors. We gave them a chance to give back to the community. And so we went to Beverly Hills High School, part of the Beverly Hills Unified School District, and we would hire them and allow them to not only give back, but to, you know, connect with people who they want, uh, they had the same teachers as. And so that was very effective for the student. Um, and then also we were much, much more cost effective, finally fair to the parents, um, because we felt like a lot of the older people were taking advantage of that. And you know, the third thing is the age. When you have a 13-year-old trying to learn algebra, you know, or any type of math or science or history, it's very difficult to connect with a 40-year-old master's or PhD person. Whereas with us, it was a 18-year-old, college kid, energetic, um, very small age gap. And we've, you know, seen through the, the, the tutoring we've done that it was so much more effective um, and overall was, was a great way to enhance the tutoring, not only for the younger kids in, you know, in the Beverly Hills Unified School District, but also allow these, these tutors who would have otherwise been scooping ice cream somewhere um, to give back to their community and get paid much higher than, than they ever would have, uh, you know, serving ice cream scoops or anything of that sort.
2: So how many tutors would you say and what kind of results were, were you seeing from the program?
3: Yeah, so we had, uh, I'd say at maximum, we had like four or five tutors operating at one time. And the way it worked is that, you know, I found clients through going to various Beverly Hills events, um, talked to parents. Um, also, I have younger siblings, so, you know, spoke to their uh, friends' parents and sort of grew organically through that and just, you know, filtered through every um, tutor. We had a lot of applicants, obviously, screened them to make sure they're um, not only social and able to communicate with, with younger children, but also that they actually know the material. Um, and so we put them through some tests that um, some teachers helped me develop, and, um that's, you know, that's really how it started.
2: That's awesome. And and what kind of results did you see from the, the children that were being tutored?
3: They were doing exponentially better. I was in direct contact. Something that's very important for me is being in touch with the parents at all times, even though I might not be the one that's tutoring them, just given that, you know, we've had so many clients that it's not physically possible. It's very important for me um, as a CEO and head of the business to always be in touch with the parents, and cater to their needs. And so I would get on the phone with a lot of these parents and they would tell me that they went, their students from getting D's in their history classes and their, their math classes to B's and, you know, some of them even A's um, within, within a month, really. And what it came down to was not necessarily that the, that the kids were stupid or that, you know, they didn't understand it. It's just that they needed someone who, who was similar in their age group, someone that can walk them through it, someone who wasn't their parent. Um, to really sit down and, and focus, and you know, especially in a world where there's iPhones buzzing left and right, laptops beeping everywhere, um, it's very difficult for for the younger generation. And I see this with my younger siblings too. Um, to really sit down and focus, and so um, that's one of the biggest, the value adds, I would say that we offered.
2: Now, did you see this as a business model that you felt that you could expand beyond Beverly Hills, or was this something that you just stayed focused in your community?
3: So I focused on Beverly Hills primarily because I knew the market, because I grew up here. Um, but right at the time that, you know, there, there was a point where I could expand, I was starting college. And so for me, it was the opportunity cost between, you know, trying to run this full-fledged business and focus on expansion um, versus focusing fully on college. And, you know, USC is a private university, costs a ton of money um, and really wanted to make sure to hit the bat running in college and get myself involved over there. And so I actually had someone uh, come in and, you know, not not focus on expanding, but just maintain um, the current the current company. And so what uh, she was able to do was just maintain her client relations, get some more clients, just manage the whole business while while I was a freshman at the time uh, at USC.
2: And so at USC right now, are you junior or senior? Where are you now? I'm a junior. And junior, And so while you've got all of that going on, there's this Geocasion as well. So how did that come to be?
3: So Geocasion uh, came to be, I was working two summers ago um, now at Hawk Media, which is one of the top digital marketing agencies in, in, in LA, in Santa Monica. And um, over there, what I realized is that a lot of these businesses, especially small businesses, fail to, to target millennials in the right way. A lot of them think you can just, you know, buy Instagram ads because, oh, all the millennials are there, or buy Facebook ads. Um, but really, I, I saw the gap where these small businesses tried so hard and wasted, really wasted so much money tra- trying to reach not only millennials, but also Gen Z, you know, which is anyone right now at the age of 18 or younger um, who don't even have a Facebook at this point. Um, and they wasted so much money. And so GeoCasion, you know, it initially started out as, um, something that created Snapchat geofilters for people who were hosting events. But then we slowly pivoted as we realized Snapchat would make it very easy to create the graphic design. And, and they have. Um, and so we predicted that move about a month earlier. And what we did is positioned ourselves as, as a marketing agency, as a consultancy for, for these small businesses.
2: And so specifically, so when you said you anticipated that pivot move, what, what does that mean for you know, the audience that may not really understand that portion?
3: So, yeah. So Snapchat, when it first started out, they have these graphic overlays called geofilters, where essentially if you're in a location and you, you swipe, you can see this graphic overlay only if you're in a certain location. Um, so take, for example, Beverly Hills. If you're in Beverly Hills, you can swipe and a nice graphic comes up. So to create those at the start when this was just introduced, you can only create it if you had high expertise in Photoshop because you have to fit their certain dimensions, you have to fit certain regulations and restrictions. Um, and we knew that, you know, this was very difficult upfront, but that Snapchat would definitely make it easier for people in the long run to, to create these filters. And so we knew for, for events, for bar mitzvahs, for weddings, that it would be at, at, at the end game, you know, just a drag and drop to create these things. And so because we had that foresight, we were able to pivot early on before they made that move and position, position ourselves as a marketing agency instead of just a graphic design agency. So instead of just doing the graphic design, which we did, we also helped with the strategy behind actually targeting you know, anyone from the age of zero to, to 34.
2: So as you can see and, and hopefully the audience is starting to pick up right Daniel's got this this foresight here that that you know when when I was first talking with them was was just blowing me away and so you know some of the conversations that I was having with Daniel when we were doing pre-show talk um, felt like some of the conversations I was having with with mentors of mine that have been in business for 25 30 years, um, and so we were tapping into some of that potential so I want to continue that conversation and figure out how did you know he take tutor U and how did he take G occasion and then start to pivot some of that knowledge into Tamid take uh, which I believe there's also an acronym behind Tamid as well and so we're going to find out how he took all of this and then created the first ever shark tank event uh, for college entrepreneurship at USC and we're going to dive into that right after the break you're listening to the work-life balance with Rick Morris.
0: every business is in the software business and business is booming that's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day it's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage where applications aren't just part of your brand they are your brand all of this means you have a new mandate build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy.
2: And we're back on the work-life balance. We're talking to Daniel Newman, and and certainly a name you're going to want to remember because he's going to become one of the hottest commodities in in Silicon Valley shortly. I think there's already people there taking passes at him. I think we even offered a job to you after our pre-show conversation, Daniel, that you politely turned down. But um, so uh, coming coming back, uh, discussing Tamid Tank, right? So Tamid Tank – you know, it's this massive project that you started, which is essentially Shark Tank, right? But first of all, what, so it's T-A-M-I-D, right? Because I, I speak mm-hmm. quickly as well. But that's an acronym. What's the acronym?
3: So it actually is not, it's a translation. In Hebrew, it means always.
2: Always. Okay. And so TAMITank is this, this big production that you, you put on. So first of all, how did you come to do that? Where where'd the idea come from? And then then talk to us about just putting that project on, what you went through with that.
3: All right, yeah, absolutely. So, Tameed is a a national student organization. Um, We have about 46 chapters now across the U.S., and essentially what it does is we focus on experiential learning through the Israeli economy. And so we do consulting for Israeli CEOs that are looking to break into the U.S. market. We also have a fund that critically analyzes Israeli stocks on the U.S. market Um, because after the U.S., Israel and China are, you know, the top two countries um, that are listed on the NASDAQ, Dow Jones, um, and so it's very interesting to, to have that, that viewpoint. Um, and so we had a national conference uh, a year ago, actually, where we all came together from different schools all around the U.S., all around the world, actually, um, and shared ideas. And the first to meet tank ever happened in New York just a year ago. And I remember speaking to the person who created it, and I'm like, damn, this really has to come to USC. You know, USC has the vibrant startup community, one of the best, I think, in, in all of the U.S., if not the world, in terms of student startups, we have these these VCs, you know, the new Silicon Beach, and then the fanatic Shark Tank viewers. And so I, this was a no-brainer for me. I had to bring it to USC, um, sell the market potential, and, and that's when I really started my journey.
2: And so talk to, to people about what it really does and, and you know, who you attracted and, and even maybe a product or two that came from it.
3: Absolutely. So... Uh, to me, Tank was essentially Shark Tank for college students, and how I started is I recruited a team of 15 people, 15 of the best from my student organization, and divided them based off their strengths. So I put them in startup relations, investor relations, and logistics, which is, you know, all the fun stuff. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I, I realized we need money to put on this production, and so started reaching out, cold emailing, leveraging um, my network, really, and was able to fundraise fourteen thousand dollars for the event, which we actually ended up using to the dot um, to create such a big event um, but you know the the big thing for me was was showing that college entrepreneurship is is not a joke like it used to be you know being an entrepreneur used to be like basically you know you don 't have a job that 's what people refer to as as entrepreneurs, but now it's it 's real change makers, thought leaders, and so I sought to show that. You know, you don't need a 28-year-old with industry expertise to, to launch a company. It could be you as an 18-year-old, as a 19-year-old. And we're seeing that increasingly now, um, you know, with, with my generation and, and the one following. And so, to me, Tank was essentially a pitch competition where we had three of USC's top startups, Aquis, Drops, and Refer, and they pitched to a panel of venture capitalists in front of 500 people, um, and so I was very involved with the marketing committee and did some growth hacking techniques to to really amass, you know, bring out 5% of our entire student body um, to this one event. We booked the biggest auditorium on our campus and hit mass capacity on our event, which was incredible. Um, and, you know, some of the best companies now, Aquis is uh, a company that essentially does water filtration for low-income communities. And he's actually, the founder is now at the Vatican with the Pope. The Pope has an accelerator for... Startups that do social good, and he actually just finished over there, and is going to be speaking at a Water Tech Israel Summit um, this week. And the other companies as well are doing very well. One of them is going to an accelerator in Silicon Valley, and the other one is, is about to start their fundraising. So it really comes to show that you know college startups are are now really starting to be taken seriously because because they are serious.
2: Yeah, we have a, uh, a startup culture here at the, the UAB. Uh, school business and and UAB being a medical school Um, and so one of the the outcomes of that is that the young man who's doing the uh, 3D printing of uh, of the um, uh, limbs artificial limbs Uh, so that was something that was on 60 Minutes and that kind of stuff but that's that's happening right here in Birmingham where I live Uh, but just fascinating um, and and I actually want to take a pivot point here um, about about the the cultural right generation that we see that that's happening. And um, there is a significant shift that I see in the millennial culture. And a lot of people ask all the, and I get frustrated by it. I'll be honest with you. A lot of people, you know, ask me, how do you retain millennials? How do you, um, you know, hire millennials? And and I hear people get frustrated with millennials, but I I will say, and I hate to lump everything into uh, a generational thing. I will say um, of the millennial generation, I see more and more younger people wanting to do something that has more social cause. That that means that they want to have a job that has a social purpose or has a social vision. Is that would would you say that's fair?
3: I would definitely agree with that.
2: And so it's it's no longer you know I, I think the big thing around Gen X certainly is, is is my generation. We 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 took a job that we saw upward mobility, but that would. Set our families up for what whatever we needed. that that was it. it. that that's no longer good enough anymore. it's it's the the job needs to be rewarding. It needs to be challenging, but it also needs to know that I'm making a difference in the world. that that's if we were going to lump it all into a single statement, um and again, we're putting a huge group of people together into a single statement, and let's let's keep qualifying that. But if we wanted to to try to boil it down, is it's it's not good enough anymore just to have a job that makes money. It also has to be making a difference in the world. Is that fair?
3: Absolutely. I think culture and you know the actual impact that the company makes is is becoming increasingly important, if not more important than money at this point.
2: And so, having said that, I mean, again, your startup with with the water filtration, watching this the, this gentleman do three D printing. It's amazing the application of disruption and the technology, but but it's the application of disruption and technology to do social good. And so, it's fascinating to me to watch what's really happening. At the same time, we don't hear as much about it, and that's something I I feel it really needs to change.
3: Absolutely, I think I think you know the vision and the culture and the overall social impact is something that a lot of companies actually don't realize. And, you know, obviously, you know, you should treat people as people and not as, you know, segments of generations. Um, but I think it's it's very important to consider, especially with, you know, millennials and, and younger, you know, especially younger millennials slash, uh, you know, Gen Zers, which is everyone around the age of 18 right now and younger, um, that we really care about what you're doing. So if you look at SpaceX, for example, Tesla, a lot of people, even if they get paid lower, would rather take a job that's helping send people to Mars or helping, you know, create autonomous vehicles as opposed to sitting and making 150 k um, doing accounting. And so I think these are things that, you know, as, as employers start to, you know, build their company, frame their brand, that's something that definitely they need to take into account.
2: Well, and, and you mentioned it in pre-show as well, even the advent of new technologies such as blockchain. Right. In in some of the it it, for us, culturally, the people in the software industry looking at agile methodology versus, you know, typical hybrid project management, the things that are reducing the time between idea and outcome um, and in the speed in which we can disrupt an industry is is something that I think we're going to still watch exponentially grow um, in the next five years.
3: Absolutely. So, as you could see that blockchain is a perfect example of that, where, you know, a couple of years ago, it was regarded to as a joke, an absolute joke that, that we would have this decentralized uh, system currency. But now if you look at it, it Bitcoin has a market cap of 61 you know, trillion billion dollars. And then you look at Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, there's just so many um, big things that really popped out of nowhere. And, you know, if you, you just blink, it, it just pop, it really um, is something that employers have to keep uh, looking at. All the time, I feel like.
2: Yeah, but even so like cryptocurrency though, that that's a very scary thing because right in the news yesterday, right, China all of a sudden cracked down on on, right Bitcoin.
3: Right so they regulated the ICOs.
2: Yeah. So all of a sudden you could see massive fortunes in something in cryptocurrency just go away. And I think that's the fear at the same time as to the rise of something that's as unregulated as something like Bitcoin.
3: Right. Right. And that's that's where I see the uh, not to divide the generations, but where I see the conflict is that, you know, Bitcoin, you look at a market cap of sixty one billion dollars. Then you see with one news of, of China, you know, regulating an ICO shoots down. Right. And the big thing is that we as, as younger people believe in a decentralized system where, um, you know, there's uh, ledgers on, on literally every single part of the planet and where we see the future advantage of blockchain. But a lot of the people who are, who are older don't necessarily see it the way we do, because I feel like another big thing is, is how optimistic millennials are. And, you know, a lot of times that people could say it's naive, but I actually argue it's a good thing because it gets us thinking on our feet. It gets us moving, gets us to take action, um, which is something you haven't seen really in, in the past few uh, years or generations.
2: Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I I would agree that there's been if you look at it again in a macro versus a micro environment, right? Right. That the, the innovation growth between the space age to the computer age to now what what I really think will end up being dubbed the disruption age uh, of technology that there the acceleration of growth seemed to have slowed, and and I think that. Um, A lot of that had to do with um, the fear of what the company was going to do to you, right? And and so, you know, I I certainly have been skeptical of companies um, because the the companies seem to be about the bottom line profit than they did about the people. And, And I think that has, you know, as you guys were, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, you were being morphed by hearing your parents complain. Or be scared, or move, or switch jobs. Right? And that certainly puts into the psyche of a millennial, um, of when, you know, paints the picture of what you're going to be when you grow up. It it
3: does. Exactly. Exactly. And autonomy is a great example of that, where, you know, you see the rides of of Lyft and Uber and Postmates, and it's because people want autonomy over their, their own schedule. They don't want to necessarily work for someone else. And you're seeing this more and more now, so than ever that you know, Uber drivers would much rather just go on, tap a button and be employed and work as opposed to have to show up at 8 a.m. in a suit, leave at 5 p.m. And I think that's something that will continue growing, actually. I think a lot of people, I see it in college especially, will not want to work for these big corporations but want to work for themselves or want to find a way where these big corporations like Uber can find a way for them to work on their own schedule as opposed to on someone else's schedule.
2: Yeah, and that's that's something that's been listed as a want from from you know a generation, anyway, millennial generation. A lot of the studies is not necessarily on-site nine to five, but more flexible and remote. So we're going to exactly. continue this discussion when we come back uh, for our latest break. You're listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris, and we're visiting with Daniel Newman. We'll be right back.
0: It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today: software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment, and not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you, turn left ahead, the digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto-drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
1: Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. 472 5790 Again, that's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance.
2: And we are back at the Work-Life Balance. We're visiting with Daniel Newman, a USC student who has already done more than I, I think I've done my whole life. So we're going to just stop recapping that whole portion. But I do want to get into uh, technology. Um, and one of the things I share with my kids all the time, and, and I think it's funny, it's certainly generational. Um, my father was a developer. He wrote, you know, RPG2 on AS400 mainframes, sit there and read green bar charts all day long, right, right identifying debugging code. Uh, but he couldn't program a VCR. Yeah, that ding thing would flash 12 o'clock, and, and uh, I actually was the original remote control when cable came out uh, because uh, he'd scream my name from the, the back of the room, and I had to run out of my room, and he'd go, you know, change that channel from 4 to 12, right? And so that, that's how uh, technology evolved for my father, um, and, and he just couldn't figure out that you had to leave the, the TV on channel 3 to record cable. That um, just baffled him. And um, I'm watching my, my, you know, daughter at the time was 12, you know, she's 16 now, but I was watching her teach her grandparents the the iPad and the iPhone. And so I know it's going to happen. I feel I'm technology savvy and you know, I grew up around computers and, you know, I can work everything today, but I just know there's something that, you know, hopefully um, my grandchildren are going to have to teach me. And, and I'm excited to figure out what that piece of technology is going to be that passes me by, you know. Maybe it's some sort of implant or something, but th- there's going to be something that, you know, my grandkids are going to have to teach me and I can't wait to figure out what that technology is, but it, it's going to happen. So what I'd love to hear from you, Daniel, is you know, what is the technology you guys are talking about right now? You know, when, when you and, and your, your buddies are around and, and just kind of lamenting about the future and trying to figure out where you're going to go next or, or what the next cool thing is going to be, you know, what is that kind of stuff? What's exciting you guys?
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting question, you know, and I think it can take you know two forms. You know, number one is what will when I'm a grandpa, what will my grandkids be be surprised that I don't know how to do? And you know, for that, I really think it's, it's programming, the ability to code. I, I really do think that we're going to start seeing coding being taught not only in high school, which it already is, but in elementary and middle school. And you know, I, I really see a time where I'm going to have my grandkids come up to me like, Dad or Grandpa, you don't you don't know how to. You know, program Python to build this website, or you don't know how to program Swift or Objective C and build an application. Like I learned this, you know, last week, and it was just so easy. Um, and I think that's that's something that you know I'm really pushing my my younger siblings actually to to get a to get ahead on and to actually start coding just recreationally because I do think that is the future. Um, and then in terms of what we do on campus, who what are we what are we very hyped about? Um, what are we fascinated by? I would say. Right now, it's blockchain technology, really. That's, that's um, what has really got USC hyped up. You can see we even have some students launching ICOs, their initial coin offerings, um, which is essentially the same, thing, uh, same idea as an IPO, but for cryptocurrency. And so right now, actually, one of my best friends, uh, Daniel Agachi, just started the blockchain um, club at USC, and he's the president of that. And it's the first ever blockchain club that, that we have on campus and i'm so confident that you know this is just the beginning for blockchain technology and there's so much hype around it already um, there's even a class about it actually we have a blockchain class taught by a professor that i'm not technically enrolled in but show up to every week because i'm so interested um, and i really think that that's something that you know whether or not it's a fad is something that only time will tell but it is something that's really sparking up the, the eyes and the inspiration of, of all the college students, especially at USC today.
2: So can you give, and I know this is going to be quite difficult, but can you give a high level as to what blockchain technology is?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, to, to preface, you know, I feel like no one knows the full thing. Um, I'm, I, myself, am a student of blockchain and, and I'm continually learning about, you know, what exactly it is, what its capabilities are. But, you know, the basics is that it's a decentralized system where there's no uh, middleman. There's no central bank like there is the Fed in today's today's terms. Um, Instead, there's a bunch of different ledgers and servers. And um, what the ledgers do is they all update each other on who owns what assets, what trades are being made. And so because of this, you know, decentralized system, you're able to know what everyone's balance is. And you're able to also stay away from fraud because everyone knows what everyone else has. And because of that, there's no way to coin the system or to game the system, and so there's a lot of applications. So, for example, Ethereum is built on smart contracts, which are essentially contracts that can only execute when you know two conditions are met, um, and that can prevent a lot of fraud when doing international trading. You know, for example, if I were to buy a huge supply of um, certain shipments or to buy a bunch of files, uh, they wouldn't get my payment until I received uh, the product, and that would be instantaneous. And so that you know saves a lot of our money and a lot of our time, especially when there's so much fraud going on. Um, and that's just the beginning. There's so many applications. And every day I go on the news and see, you know, a new ICO or a new type of cryptocurrency or technology for real estate, for marijuana, for literally anything. Um, and so I do think the opportunities are endless. And really, time will tell which, which technologies will, will take the lead.
2: Yeah, it it it's uh, to to relegate it back to some of my listeners that that may be older it's it's the old Betamax versus VHS, right? Except that it's it's accelerated to the power of of a million because ICOs are dropped in left and right and now it's 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 the power of the fittest. It, it's also it, it's no different than the social media networks that were dropping out. It's it's those who gravitate to the most useful ones and the ones that are going to be the most um, not only secure, but the the ones that are going to be the most useful in um get the most followers and users first is gonna win.
3: I, I think that's that's exactly exactly what it is. And not only who can get, you know, the first amount of users, um, because a lot of these, you know, the, the, the con of being decentralized is that there's a lot of scam actually. There's a lot of people who call it pumper dump where they put tons of money into an ICO so the value boosts up and then just sells everything. And because there's no central bank like the Fed, um, it opens the, the door to these types of things, at least early on. Um, but I'm very confident that you know, later on, once people start to fully understand uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, Ethereum, I think that's when we're gonna see much less of these scams and actually be able to look at a coin and say, oh, this is why it's worth this much. This is why I'm going to buy it instead of you know, all the fake hype um, that, that's around it today.
2: Yeah, with anything, it's, it's, it's new. And so, with newness, there's there's the twenty percent. It's the the Pareto, right? Twenty percent is going to be incredible. Eighty percent is going to be junk. But uh, the twenty percent that is is also going to net eighty percent of the profits that are out there, right? So it's that's the, that's the beauty of of what we're watching. But I love watching uh, the the brand new things that that develop. Um, not only is it hard. Um, But it's exciting at the same time because you're you're literally watching a brand new language being developed. Um, You know, when the when the Internet first started, you know, a whole new vocabulary, which is passe and you guys use every day. These were words that were being created right in front of our eyes. You know, nobody knew what a blog was. Nobody knew what a blog was, you know, texting and all these other things That has really just evolved over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and so the same thing with blockchain and everything else that you're seeing, it's a whole new vocabulary and way of life that's going to develop right in front of your eyes.
3: Absolutely. And it's its crazy to think how how fanatic these uh, the college students are. You know, every morning I, I go on my app, check Coinbase and see what the market's at. Midday, probably like five times a day. Then right before I go to bed, check it again. And the crazy thing is, you know, it's a 24-hour market. The market never closes like the stock market does. And so um, these these students, like, uh, we text each other all the time. Oh, it's up? Oh, it's going down. And it's crazy to see the level of engagement for people who are, you know, as young as 18, 17 years old. It's uh, really impressive.
2: So what's next for for you? Where where, where you go next?
3: Good question. <laughs> um, I'm still, you know, figuring it out. I'm at this point where, you know, I founded two startups, which we discussed, and had the, the opportunity to actually intern in Tel Aviv last summer I'm at UpWest Labs, which is an early-stage venture capital firm where I was exposed to a ton of different startups. I sat in on so many different pitches and really saw the, the Israeli side of, of high-tech, and it truly is phenomenal. Um, but I'm at this point where i realized I don't want to pursue the money, and I'm very glad that I'm, I'm realizing this early on. Um, and I think it's something that resonates with not only me but with a lot of people my age, is that we really want to, you know, touching on what you said is, is pursue something that not only can you know give us a house and give us food, but something that has an impact beyond ourselves. And so, for me, something that's really interesting is digital health. You know, being able to create a startup that not only gives me money and a sense of security, but also is able to improve the quality lives of quality of lives of other people, maybe prolong someone's life or save someone's life potentially. Um, and there are many ways to do this. It doesn't have to be digital health. There's literally so many different industries. And, you know, for me, it's just right now focusing on being an upperclassman, looking at all the opportunities around me and, you know, deciding which one I really want to go deep in. Um, but that's where I'm at right now, where I'm still in that figuring out, I guess you can call it a mid-college crisis.
2: <laughs> listen, there's, there's, listen you're, the, the, the crisis term you can go ahead and toss out right now. There's no such thing at your stage, especially with all that you've accomplished so far. So I, I don't think uh, I'll allow you to use that term. That's the, the first time I'll uh, reject well, anything you that, that you've said. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so, but but th- I think that you're at a great point. And um, most of us are doing something else than what we studied in school. Um, I think that that's a, a fact of life that most of us recognize and understand. Um, so the, you know, the only advice I can give to you on that is study as much as possible and learn as many new things as possible because that's only going to benefit you further. Don't, you know, the the people that that I hear, there's like, I'm doing this the rest of my life. It's like, nah, (laughs) the likelihood of that. (laughs) That's not (laughs) happen anymore. The likelihood (laughs) of that (laughs) is slim to none. But uh, we're going to go ahead and take our final break right here. We're going to be back with our final segment with Daniel Newman. You're listening to The Work Life Balance with Rick Morris.
0: Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you, turn left ahead, the digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto-drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
1: Again, that's one If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance.
2: And we are back uh, with the final segment here with Daniel. And actually, Daniel, uh, I'm going to take a left turn here on you for a second. But one of my favorite things, uh, you were just making me kind of reminisce. And, and I learned You know, my first development in in fourth grade, but it was basic. But there was an exercise they made us do, and it's something that I still do with elementary schools here in town um, when I teach them about computers. So I I don't care how, you know, sophisticated apps and everything get in computers Mm – at the end of the day, it's still ones and zeros. And so one of the things that I like to teach is to teach them how computers think so that when you're developing code or you're developing whatever it is, projects, all of that stuff, you still have to think through and, and be able to help develop. And uh, so we do an exercise called uh, uh, Teaching a Robot uh, How to Make a Peanut Butter and Jelly Sandwich. And so I get them to write down the instructions on teaching a robot how to do that step by step. And then we bring all the ingredients in, and I follow that uh, process exactly as they have it written, as a computer AI would, and it's hilarious. But it also gets them to think that you've got to think through all of those different steps. So if they didn't tell me to take the, you know, put the lid down or take the lid off, then you know we show them where their program fails. Um, so anyway, interesting thought. If you're ever missing, you know, messing around with kids and, and trying to teach them uh-huh. the, the early thought patterns of, of a developer. So uh, coming back, one. yeah, there you go. Coming back, um, so if anybody wanted to, uh, you know, get in touch with you or, or you, know, you know, help uh, figure out what Tamid Tank is or really even invest with you or, or donate some money or, or find out any about these startups, how would they get in touch with you?
3: Well, I would say the best way is definitely just by email. Um, really, it's uh, my email is N E at usc.edu. Um, it's my university email. Again, it's D A N I E L n e at usc. edu, and I also have a Twitter that I, I try to keep up, post some things, um, retweet things that are interesting to me, um, and it's my direct messages. They're also open for for anyone who wants to reach me, and that's uh, the d n e w So it's t h e t h e d n e w.
2: That's perfect. And so one of the questions we always like to ask, as well, of every one of our guests, is uh, what's some of the best advice you've ever received.
3: Some of the best. Well, I would say there's there's two things. The first one, you know, to sum up a whole two-hour conversation, um, it would be if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. And, you know, it's something that has resume- resonated with me and is actually engraved in, in the ring I wear um, because, you know, I wasn't always someone who who actively was able to to communicate the way I do. And obviously there's, there's a far way to go. Um, but I was a very shy kid. I was scared to raise my hand in class. I was... My heart almost gave me a heart attack every time I would go up to present in front of, you know, a group of even 5, 10 people. Um, but something that my dad really instilled in me was to get out of my comfort zone, to, to show that there's nothing to lose and only things to gain when you make yourself uncomfortable. And, you know, started out with me in, in high school, deciding to, on a whim, run for student body or senior class president. Um, later on delivering a speech in front of a couple thousand people. And, you know, still sticks with me today with, with everything I do, to meet, tank these startups. It was never comfortable. And there's a lot of times where you doubt yourself. You feel like you're not the person to be doing this. Um, but then you realize, you know, you're the one who had the intuition. You had the grit, um, what about they say in Hebrew, the chutzpah, to, to really go and, and chase after your dreams. And so it's gotten to the point where I've become somewhat comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's something that once you train yourself enough um, is something that will have huge returns probably out of anything you do. It's just getting in the mindset. I mean, I'll say the second thing is something my, my entrepreneurship professor asks us. He says, if you had a trust fund and, you know, the only way you would be able to get it is by just doing something any day, something guaranteed money, guaranteed wealth, what would you do? And, you know, the students answer. And then he says, well, then why don't you do it? And I feel like that's a real representation of of how we're thinking today. It's not, you know, how can we get this money and be secure, but how can we do something we love and then find the money? And I feel like that's what's really shifted me um, towards being someone who's very risk-loving but also smart calculated risks and also pursuing my real passion as opposed to pursuing a job on Wall Street where I slave away um, and some say sell your soul to the devil um, and be unhappy. So for me, quality of life, happiness is something that, I've chosen to always prioritize, and, and I'm, you know, a product of that today.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, you, you said it beautifully, and I appreciate you sharing that with the audience, but, I mean, action is, is where it comes, and, you know, one of my mentors is John Maxwell, and one of the things he says, and this sounds a little harsh, but I love it, he says the the only difference between people with good intentions and bad intentions is that the people with good intentions just are a little nicer. But intent doesn't really equate to action, right? Action is what actually makes people successful. And I've always loved that thought because you can have great intentions all day, but intention without action doesn't mean a thing. And I love your passion. I love... um, The fact that the other thing, and I get asked this often, you know, I I did three day speaking engagement this week. I met with a client in New York City. I'm back home doing the radio show, released a new online platform for PM Minute. And and people will ask me all the time, it's just how, you know, how do you find the time? And and that's my favorite question to get asked because time is the great equalizer. That's the one thing that you and I have in common is the same amount of time Mm -hmm. every day. And that's in in so I'm sure you get asked that question all the time, especially being a college student, doing to meet tank, doing you know all the things that you're doing people go, "Gee, Daniel, how do you find the time?" Well, it's interesting yeah. because I have the same amount of time as you do so it's it's about intentional living it's about intentional action. so I'll let you comment on that and then we got to close the show.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I was just speaking to a friend about this actually earlier this morning um, where they say, you know, how do you have the time to do, to do all of this? And, you know, it's a funny quote. I always say it. It's, uh, if you want something done, you give it to a busy man. And, you know, it, it's really true. Um, I think time is, is not necessarily the way people refer to it. I think it's priorities. And is it a priority? So is working out a priority? Because clearly, you know, like you said, we all have the same amount of hours in a day. And so it's not necessarily do you have the time. Is it, is it your priority? And so for me, I rank things based on not necessarily do I have the time for it, but is it a priority? And if it is a priority, then I commit myself. And, you know, if it's a startup that I'm really passionate about and it's even a higher priority than, let's say, class, for example, then for me, that's a better investment in my time than going to, you know, a class on Athenian democracy, for example. And so I think that's that's something that a a lot of people say, you know, I don't have the time. I see that as I don't have, it's not a priority. And when you start thinking of it as, as priorities instead of time um, is when you actually, you know, unlock your, your schedule and realize what's truly important to you.
2: Beautifully said. And and so now, hopefully, the audience truly recognizes why we had you on this show. I, I couldn't be more impressed with you. Um, you're certainly somebody we're going to be watching throughout your career. And, you know, about every six months, we'll be offering you a job, and eventually you'll accept. Um, <laughs> One day. that's that's what we do is we just wear you down. That's, that's kind of my tactic and uh, hopefully it'll work out one day, but uh, you know, best of luck to you. Uh, we couldn't be more impressed with you in, in thank you so much for again, prioritizing the time to, to spend an hour with us today.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Rick. And to everyone who's listening, I, I really do appreciate this opportunity and it, it really does mean a lot to me. So thank you.
2: All right. So next week on the show, we're just going to be hanging out uh, together in, in visiting, um, I'm actually going to uh, be here in Birmingham all week next week, so it's going to be a nice time to uh, reflect and uh, try to, you know, just capture the thoughts of everything that's been going on the last few weeks. Um, and then uh, we are going to be live from the IIBA event uh, on the 29th. The show after that, so hang out with us on the Work Life Balance. As always, we appreciate your listenership, and and the love has been shown. Uh, continue to reach out on us uh, to us at Twitter at Rick A. Morris. Um, or you can go to rickamorris.com and email us there um, or R Square Consulting. So until next week, we will talk to you guys soon. You've been listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. Please hang out and listen to the show right after us as you listen to the Voice America Business Network. We'll talk to you next week.